At the end of Mass, the deacon kicks you out. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Get out of here. You just received Jesus Christ in word and in sacrament. Now go be Eucharist to the world. That's what evangelization is all about. Remember, you heard me say yesterday that when Mary became pregnant with Jesus, what was her first impulse? To go visit her kinswoman Elizabeth, to take Jesus out. What is our first instinct as Catholics? After we receive Jesus Christ in word and in sacrament, in a sense, we're pregnant with Jesus like Mary was for as long as that Eucharist subsists. But then our first impulse is to go out, to take Jesus out into the world. But for so long, we Catholics have been reticent and afraid about sharing our faith. That's something the priest does. That's something the deacon does. All we have to do is show up every Sunday and somehow we'll get to heaven. Er, wrong answer! You can go to Mass every Sunday and still go to hell. That's not how this works. Every single one of us was given talents by God. Remember the parable of the talents? He gave one guy four, another guy two, another guy one. And then he came back. What did you do with the talents I gave you? Now when we hear that parable, we think that talents are coins. And they're not. Talons are units of measurement. A talent was also, in, in Aramaic, it's called a kikarim. A kikarim, or a talent, is 3,000 shekels. Think of it like, you know those gold blocks, like at um, uh, the Treasury Department or something like that, like, uh, you know, those gold bars, Fort Knox? That's what a talent was, typically silver. One ta I did some calculations. One talent in today's dollars is worth $27,000. So now when you hear that parable, right? The guy that he gave, you know, three or four, that guy doubled what he gave. Yes! The guy that got two, you didn't give me as much as you gave him. I got you four. Yes! What about you? Uh... Well, you didn't give me as much as you gave them. You only gave me one. You know, and I know you're frugal. You reap what you did not sow. You, you know, so I just buried it. And here it is back again. Now, why didn't that work? Then what the master say? Dude, at least you could have put it in the bank and got some interest. But think about it. Why was the master so upset? I mean, he didn't lose it. He didn't squander it like the prodigal son spent his father's money on sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? He just didn't use what he was given, and it wasn't good enough. By our baptism, each one of us was called to be priests, prophets, and kings. The main job of a priest is to offer sacrifice. The main job of a prophet is to speak the truth. The main job of a, is a king to the ser is to serve. All of us receive those charisms in our baptism. I want to focus tonight on the second one, preaching the truth. We can't make it. See, look, if we don't evangelize effectively, then don't complain about what's going on in the culture today. Don't complain that not only do they want to do abortion, now they want to wait till the baby is born, 
keep the baby comfortable, resuscitate it if necessary, and then decide if you're going to kill it or not? Don't complain when people get arrested because they mistakenly call the girl a boy who is actually a girl. Don't complain. You want to know the problem? Look in the mirror. You want the solution? Look in the mirror. We cannot sit back and be quiet and expect things to change in our church, in our culture, in our society. We have to talk about Jesus. The question is, how do we do it effectively? St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning of men, by their craftiness and deceitful wiles. Rather, speaking the truth in love. That's it. Ephesians 4.15, we have to speak the truth in love, but it must be the truth. The thing that makes us nervous is like, yeah, but Deacon, that's what you do. That's, I'm just a housewife. I'm, I'm only 15. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 95. You know, I'm, you know we, are, we are all caught. She was evangelizing me last night, right? We're, weren't we walking out talking last night? Yeah. She was, she was telling me some stuff like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We cannot be afraid. Let me, let me give you a very simple example of how not difficult this is. When I was still working full-time, I was speaking on and off part-time. And I got asked to speak in, uh, in Portland for a Theology on Tap one, one night. So Theology on Tap was being held at the Lucky Labrador Pub. So at the Lucky Lab, it was a regular brew pub, but they had an upper room where they had like small catered events. So that's where the Theology on Tap was. So I worked a full day. I came to the Lucky Lab, went upstairs, kind of gave my little talk, and now they hired a bartender from the uh, pub to serve the people. There are about 50 people, 50 young adults. During the talk, I asked a rhetorical question. How many of you would give your kids drugs and alcohol? And of course, no one would say anything, except the bartender jumped in and said, I would. <laughs> now, I thought the dude was trying to heckle me. So I said, okay, man, we're going to have to talk when I'm done here. Right? Few people chuckled. So I finished the rest of the talk. I'm packing up my stuff to go home. The bartender comes over and says, I thought we were going to talk. I'm like, oh. So I sit down with the guy and I said, look, what parent in their right mind want to give their kids drugs and alcohol? And he says, it's like when I do the shrooms, man. So now I'm thinking to myself, not only do I not want to be talking to this guy right now, I'm now talking to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I said, you, you're telling me that you ingest hallucinogenic mushrooms? He said, yeah, man, there's like this energy in the universe. There's like this force out there. And I have to connect with the energy of the universe 
So I drive into the gorge, the Columbia River Gorge, which is an absolutely spectacularly beautiful part of Oregon along the Columbia River. He goes, I drive into the gorge, man, and I pull the car off to the side of the road, and I walk into the woods, and then I find a, a peaceful place, and I sit down and eat the mushrooms, man. And when I eat the mushrooms, I get high, man. And when I get high, I'm like, I'm like one with the trees and with the rocks and with the universe. So I'm thinking to myself, what do I say to this guy? So after he finished his speech, I said, let me see if I understand what you're saying. You think there's a force or energy, whatever you want to call it, that exists that's beyond yourself. And somehow you feel this need to connect with whatever that force is that's out there. And the way that you do that is you go to a beautiful place. And when you get to that beautiful place, you eat these mushrooms and you get high. And in that euphoria, you feel connected to nature and to the universe. He said, yeah, man. I said, hmm, you know what? I can totally appreciate where you're coming from. Let me tell you how we do it. We also believe that there is a energy in the universe. We call him God. And we also believe we need to connect with this God of the universe. And we also go to a beautiful place. It's called church. And in that beautiful place, we don't eat mushrooms and get high, but we consume what we call the Eucharist, which we know is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of that God of the universe. And when we consume that Eucharist, we are one with all the other people worshiping with us. We are one with nature and we are one with God. He looked at me and said, yeah, man. And I said, yeah, man. Then I got out of there before he asked me anything else. But, But the point is this. See how simple that was. I listened to what he said that I tried to make a connection, right? Meeting people where they are. Often we make the mistake of thinking, what I have to do is convince someone. If I just make this devastating argument, if I just give them St. Thomas Aquinas, if I just give them Scott Hahn, if I just give them this, I know I can convert them. Uh, Wrong answer. We can't convert anybody. That is not our job. Jesus gives us the model. Our job is like the sower in the parable of the, of the sower and the seed. He said there was a guy out there throwing a bunch of seeds. Some seeds landed on rocky soil, some on sandy soil, some on thorny soil. Some of the weeds came and choked it, the birds came and ate it. Some landed on good soil. Where the, the seed lands, not our problem. What does Paul say? I threw the seed, Apollos watered, Holy Spirit did the rest. That's the key. Because when that seed lands on that rocky, thorny, sandy, weed-filled heart, it's the Holy Spirit that has to till the soil and give it sunlight and fertilizer and allow the seed the faith that grow in that person's heart. We can't do that. Only God can do that. But we have to be faithful and throw the seed. Because think about it, God can't do that work if the seed ain't there. Because God gives us work to do. He left us work to do here. He went to be with the Father, 
But he left, the, look, for, I'll give you an example. Remember when he raised a little girl from the dead, the 12-year-old girl? One of the few places where Jesus actually spoke Aramaic. Talitakun, little girl arise. After he rose her from the dead, what did he tell the people to do? Give her something to eat. God did his part, but he left work for us to do. What about his boy Lazarus? He raised his boy Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus came wrapped up like a mummy. What did he tell the people to do? Untie him. God did his part, but he left work for us to do, huh? But God had the heavier part. He rose the people from the dead. And we have to remember that. Look, here's what we're good at. We're good at being Catholic in here. Where we stink at it is out there. Let me give you an example. I was at a parish once that did not have deacons, right? Saturday vigil mass, just like here, I preached at all the masses on the weekend. Saturday vigil mass, I'm in the sacristy, dressed. It's, it, you know, people are coming in, writing their name next to a list. Extraordinary ministers, lectors, this kind of, everybody's writing their name. Soon the sacristy's kind of full. Father comes in five minutes before mass because he just finished hearing confessions. He looks around and goes, oh, um, John, we won't need you to carry the book of the gospels because the deacon is here. He'll do that and he'll read the gospel and preach. Oh yeah, Mary, we won't need you at his extraordinary minister tonight because the deacon is an ordinary minister of communion like me. He'll be distributing communion with me. So they both looked at the priest and said, but Father, we're on the list. <laughs> so Father, to his credit, said, you know what? That's my fault. I meant to tell the secretary to type in the deacon's name when she was doing the list. It, it, it got away from me this week. I forgot. That's my fault. But he's here and he needs to exercise his ordained ministry. The things that he's doing at Mass are things that he's ordained to do. The reason why you're doing them is because there's no deacon here. And then they said, well, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, really? <laughs> and we want, see, we, 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 the church has got this figured out. What we need to do is take what we have here and go out there. For example, our young people, right? They say Mass is boring, but yet... In their heart of hearts, they want everything that Jesus is offering them here at the altar. And I'll prove it to you. I don't watch TV, okay? Every once in a while, when I'm in a hotel room, I'll flip through the channels. What am I missing? What's it? And you know what I see a lot of shows about? Zombies and vampires. <laughs> so I'm asking myself, why are so many people into zombies and vampires. I mean, think about it. What do those two creatures have in common? They're dead, but yet they're alive, huh? Now, what does a zombie that's dead have to do to stay alive? Eat, eat flesh. What does a, a vampire that's dead have to do to stay alive? Drink blood. See, what young people want are flesh and blood. But because they don't know who's in that tabernacle, because they don't know why they're here, because they don't know why, what any of this has to do with their everyday lived experience out there, they're trying to find flesh and blood in creatures that are dead that can't give them nothing except take their money. Went for free. And why is it free? He already paid the price. They can come to this altar 
and truly receive the body, blood, soul, divinity of the living God. Because Jesus promised, we eat my flesh, will live forever. Because the bread I give you is my flesh for the life of the world. That's what they, you know, you know what I hear more from young people? No matter where I go in the world, we want to hear the truth and we're not hearing it. That is consistent from South Africa to Tokyo to Singapore to St. Lucia. We want to hear the truth and we're not hearing it. That's why they leave. They're searching for truth and we're afraid. So what do we do? See, when we throw this, we throw this, we have to remember, people are sometimes going to be upset when we talk about our faith. And then sometimes they may get hostile and start calling you names. They, I get, that happens to me a lot because I'm not afraid. Look, I, as a permanent deacon, we typically don't wear clerics like the priests do. In our diocese, we can, we're doing official ministry working in the hospital, in the prisons, with the homeless on the street, doing a funeral or something like that. We can, other than that, we can't wear them. But I wear this, my crucifix, and my miraculous medal everywhere because I ain't embarrassed or ashamed of my faith. I got off a plane not too long ago. I, I was getting onto a plane. I was waiting patiently. The lady was putting her luggage up in the bin. She turns around, looks at me, sees the crucifix, she goes, that offends me. Now at first, I thought it was because I was black. I'm like, oh, uh. <laughs> it don't come off. <laughs> I said, what offends you? She said, that. I said, this? She said, yes. I said, oh, then don't look. See, when someone is yelling at me, what I hear is, I'm hurting, please help me. I hear, I'm lost, please show me the way. I'll give you a great example. I do a lot of pro-life stuff, okay? And it was January in Oregon, and the way this particular event was set up, they had two stages. One, at one end of the plaza was the speakers, the other end of the plaza was a praise and worship band. So a speaker would speak, then they had a little praise and worship song, next speaker, they were all day back and forth. There was a crowd of protesters across the street. They were yelling. So I got there to speak, and they were, in fact, it's on my YouTube channel, you can see the video. They're yelling, the camera pans over, you see all these protesters, they're yelling things like, get your rosaries off my ovaries. And so I said, let them yell. They're not going to be as loud as me. <laughs> so I gave the talk probably 16 or 17 minutes. Then the camera shuts off. Here's what the camera didn't show. After I got the stage, the protesters now had shifted down the street so they can shout out the praise and worship band. But there was one young lady who had her sign down by her feet against her legs. She was texting, had her head down texting. So I went... Huh, let me go talk to her. So I went under the police tape, crossed the street to the barricade. She did this. <laughs> I know you. You were the one that just up there talking. How dare you say a woman has have a right to choose? 
How dare you say a woman doesn't have a control over her own body? How dare you say that a, a blob of flesh, a blob of tissue is a person? You want us to go back to clothes hanger abortions. She starts ripping into me. She's yelling so loud, she's almost spitting in my face. And I'm standing there saying nothing. Now, I'm going to describe her to you because I'm from Jersey. That's what we do, right? She, she was what I would call a typical crunchy Oregonian, right? This was a white girl, probably about 25 years old, blonde hair and dreadlocks. She had the rippy, ripped jeans. She was, I, I, she was hairy. I guess they don't shave, whatever. Armpits all hairy, arms hairy. You know, she had Birkenstocks, tie-dye, tattoos, piercing, all that stuff going on. And the reason I describe her because it dictated my approach to her. So when she finished yelling, I said to her, are you a vegan? <laughs> don't change the subject. I, 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 I'm not changing. I just ask her, I mean, uh, you don't eat meat? I don't eat meat. I don't eat fish. I don't eat eggs, I don't eat butter, I don't eat anything that comes from an animal. Because they fill these animals full of hormones and chemicals. They take these animals in the laboratories and fill them with diseases to find cures for us. No, I don't eat anything produced by an animal. Do you recycle? <laughs> yes, I recycle! We gotta protect Mother Earth! And then she started talking about global footprints and greenhouse gas and global warming and all this stuff. I said, you know what? I can totally appreciate where you're coming from. I said, you know, for us as Christians, the Bible says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So when you eat good things like what you're doing, take care of yourself, that's a good thing. I, I commend you. And the Bible also says we're stewards and caretakers of creation. So when you take care of the earth, that's wonderful. I applaud you. But can I ask you a question? Are you on birth control? I apologize for the language. What the hell kind of question is that? That's none of your goddamn business. That's a personal question. Well, we're both out here talking about abortion. That's pretty personal too. Just humor me. Yeah, I'm on the pill, so what? Um, uh, uh, now I'm confused because you just told me that one of the reasons you don't eat meat because they fill these animals full of hormones and chemicals. Yet you're taking an artificial hormone that tricks your body into thinking that it's pregnant and when you piss out the estrogen, it goes into the river system and kills the fish. So I pulled, up a study, no, I pulled up a study on my phone from the Colorado River that showed the effects of river fish downstream from a sewage treatment plant because of the effects of estrogen in the water. That study, by the way, was just confirmed by another study done in England. I said, the very animals you're trying to protect, you're killing them. I'm green and organic when it comes to sex. How come you're not? <laughs> so now she's like, <clears throat> see, 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 look, look, see what happened? 
Now she has to think. See, the reason why people yell and scream and call you names, let me tell you what I've been called. You're a bigot. You're closed-minded. You're homophobic. You're intolerant. You don't appreciate diversity and all the other things they throw in your face for making you feel guilty for living your Catholic faith. I'm like, look, call me all the names you want. Sticks and stones, baby. Because if my Lord can be beat half to death by scourging, and if my Lord can carry the instrument of his own death up a hill, and if my Lord can die on that cross for three hours for my sins, and I can't take when somebody calls me a name because I'm not afraid to be Catholic, I don't deserve to be called a Catholic. There's another name, coward. Why do you think those names are in the Roman canon? Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Agnes, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia. Those brave, courageous women. They would rather die than deny Jesus. Die than deny Jesus. And we deny Jesus up one side and down the other. What we need to do is get people to stop feeling and to start thinking. So what I did, my typical technique for effective evangelization, you ask questions that they can't answer because now they have to think and not feel. So now, because look, she now has to think. But I had a problem as I was waiting for an answer. The praise and worship band finished playing and her friends were coming back. I went, this is going to get ugly real fast. So I turned my back. I pulled out one of my cards. I wrote on the back, Pope Paul Six Institute. Green organic sex right here. Check it out. Free. Now, what could her response have been to me at that point? She could have took the card. That's what I think about your Paul Six. She could have taken the card. That's why I think about your Catholic faith. Threw it back in my face. She took the card and she put it in her purse. And then when her friends reached us, I backed away from her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> why did I do that? Why did I do that? So she can save face in front of her friends. Now she doesn't have to explain to them, why were you talking to him? But she took the card. Is it my job to follow up with her to see what Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, did in her life? No. Our job is when we have, see, when we start living a Eucharistic faith, we'll recognize opportunities to evangelize, to throw some seeds. When that opportunity presents itself, that door may only open just a crack, just a little bit. We recognize that, we, we stick our foot in the door, we throw some seeds, and we get out. Get out of the Holy Spirit's way and let God be God. That's the key. When I first moved to Oregon, I was working in a risk, I was in charge of security and police for the Salem-Kaiser School District, second largest school district in Oregon. And I worked in the risk management office, which was filled with fallen away Catholics. The guy working in the cubicle next to me was, oh, he didn't even go to church Christmas and Easter. He only went to 
funerals. I don't know what kind of Catholic you call that, like deadbeat Catholic. I don't know what he, <laughs> he, only, he only went to funerals. I, I don't know. So one day, he was talking about his wife. I mean, he was cursing her up one side and down the other. It was hurting my heart. So here's what I heard. That door opened. Time to throw some seeds. So the next morning I came in with a paper that I'd written in graduate school on marriage. I said, oh, 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 I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, it's, oh, so he sees me. He goes, uh, you okay? Look, um, you know I'm, I'm studying to be a deacon. They're trying to kill us, man. They're trying to kill us with all this work. I was up all night writing this paper for class. It's such, it's such a huge part of my grade. And I didn't even have a chance to proofread. I'm probably going to fail. They're going to throw me out of the Yakutit program. I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes, what, you want me to take a look at it for you? Would you? <laughs> So he takes the paper, a little bit after lunchtime, he brings it back. Oh, dude, thank you so much. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Uh, did I mess anything up in here? Did I screw anything up? He goes, no, 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 it's good. He asked me one question, I answered it, never brought it up again. Seed thrown. Two years later, I got appointed as chief at the University of Portland. That same year, the governor of Oregon appointed me to the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training. It's a governor-appointed position which required a Senate confirmation hearing. So I had to drive down to Salem. I went to the hearing, but that, the, the legislative offices are near where I used to work. Let me go drop it on my old workmates. So I walk in, hey, you're back, hey, hey, hey. And this guy's there. He stands up from his desk, he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, dude, nice to see you too. He goes, he goes, no, no, he goes, I was just about to call you. I said, really? He, go, he goes, you have time to talk? I said, sure. So we sat down. I said, what's going on? He said, my wife has cancer. She already lost one breast. We're going up to Seattle to the cancer center to see if they can save the other one. But it doesn't look good. I know that you are a man of prayer. Would you please pray for my wife. I said, look, I'll, I'll get, I'm gonna pray for your wife. My wife and kids are gonna pray for your wife. I'm gonna have my whole church praying for your family. Is there anything else I can do? He said, well, remember when you worked here? You wrote that paper? Now I had to think about it for a second because it was two years. I said, paper? I said, oh, right. He goes, can we talk some more about that? Two years. You see, here's the thing. The other thing you have to remember about evangelization, effective evangelization. Right? God works in his time, and God's timing is always perfect, but it's not our time. See, we are used to fast food God, right? If I'm hungry, I said, Tom, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. Boom, we're going to go down five minutes to some fast food place. I'll be eating in five minutes. We think God works like that, and he doesn't. Once the seed is thrown, it's going to depend what type of heart it lands on. It could take years. 
In fact, you may never see any results in your lifetime, only we get to heaven. But that doesn't stop us from throwing seeds all over the place. That's how it works. Don't give up. Don't become impatient. Don't become frustrated. The other thing is, you have to know your faith. You have to know your faith. Know some things, at least some basics about the faith. Why is that important? I was in Sydney, Australia. This is uh, the 2015 tour. I've been there four times. This was 2015. I was speaking at a Maronite Catholic church, 800 people in the church. Now, the Maronite church is in the, what they call the punch bowl, which is a, a, a particular section of Sydney, which is heavily Muslim populated. During the talk, I was talking about the theology of women, and I said how the Catholic church had the best understanding of women of any religion in the world. Not saying that the others were bad, just saying that I think the Catholic church had the best. I was giving some examples. I got to Islam. Now, I've read the Quran, so I quoted one of the surats from the Quran that says that you can strike a woman if you believe she did something wrong. You don't have to prove it. You have to believe she did, you can hit her. A Muslim guy stands up from the crowd, no, you misrepresent Islam. Well, everybody's like, whoa, whoa. I said, you know what, my friend, I apologize. I said, just like I don't want anybody misinterpreting our scriptures, I don't want to misinterpret your scriptures. Can you please tell us what it says? He said, you read in English. You must read Arabic. I said, that's fair. I did read it in English. Although the English translation I read is considered the best English translation by all the imams, but okay, you must read Arabic. Please tell us what it says. He said, you don't have to hit her that hard. <laughs> so now, people are, the same reaction you had, now people are asking him to sit down. He's upset because people were laughing. Now he wants to really engage me. I said, you know what, sir, um, I have to finish my talk, but let's do this. I'll ask you two questions right now, my friend. If you can answer these two questions for me, I will continue to engage you right now. If not, then please sit down and I will talk to you for as long as you want afterward. He, said, he nodded his head. I said again, I, I apologize for reading the Quran in English. But in the Quran, I noticed that Jesus, who you consider a much lower and lesser prophet than Muhammad, Jesus does miracles in the Quran, Muhammad does not. How can Muhammad be more powerful than Jesus when Jesus does miracles and Muhammad does none? That's my first question. The second question is this. The only woman mentioned by name in the Quran is Miriam, Mary, the mother of Jesus who's spoken of with great respect. I said, none of Muhammad's wives, including his most, his, one of his favorite wives, Khadijah, nor his mother is mentioned at all in your holy book. Only the mother of Jesus is. How can Muhammad be more powerful than Jesus when his mother is mentioned and Muhammad's is not? And he sat down. After the talk, I could not find him anywhere. Here's the point of the story, though. Seed planted, huh? Several months later, after I'm back in the States, I get an email. I have it right here. Just like to let you know that when my daughter 
and husband went to a talk of yours in Sydney, they took a friend with them who was a non-practicing Muslim. After your talk, he bought 13 of your other talks, came home, downloaded them onto his phone, and listened to them on his way to work and back. At the present moment, he is preparing to receive instruction in the Catholic faith. Praise the Lord and God bless you for coming and sharing your faith so powerfully. Look, it ain't nothing about me, it's all about him. God is a musician, all of us are just instruments. And we have to allow God to use us for his glory. That's all that happened here. She's telling me, oh God, look, ain't it about me? Ain't it about us? It's all about him. And Jesus wants the message of truth shared with the world. Again, was I hostile? In any of the engagements, was I hostile? Did I yell? Did I scream? Not once. Because we think, if I yell, if I scream, if I make this argument, I can convince them. And what we do, people get more angry than when we started. They're further away. You've done nothing. This is not more true than with people in our own family, including our own kids. You know how many times I do missions like this, and mostly grandmas will come up to me, Deacon, my son is away from the church. I don't understand. Like I said, he, he went to Mass every Sunday, and he got confirmed. He went to Catholic school. I try to send him Scott Hahn CDs. I try to send him this. I try to send him a catechism. I try, and nothing's working. What do I do? Now, the first reason why those things aren't working is this. I love Scott Hahn, right? I, I'm speaking with Scott Hahn on Saturday at the Men's Conference in South Bend. I spoke with him last month at the SEAT conference. So I know Scott, in fact, he invited me to, I'm going to Stupidville next month at his invitation to speak to the students there. I, I love Scott Hahn. The reason Scott Hahn ain't working, cause your child doesn't know Jesus. And because he doesn't know Jesus, he don't care who Scott Hahn is. He doesn't know who Jesus is, so Scott Hahn doesn't matter to him. That's not where you start. I said, here's what you do. Do you babysit your grandkids? Yeah, I watch my grandkids. Here's what you do. Next time your son calls you, Mom, um, Jenny and I, we want to go on a date this Saturday. Can you and Dad watch the kids for us? Son, your father and I would love to watch our precious, beautiful grandchildren. And I just want you to know this, son. When I prayed my rosary today, I prayed that you would be like St. Joseph and lead your family to heaven. Hang up! say another word hang it up <laughs> a few days later your son will call back okay mom we got movie tickets you know we got dinner reservations we just want to make sure we're still on for friday son i talked to your father in fact we'd like to keep the kids all night you and jenny could have the whole night to yourself oh mom that's awesome let me tell you what else is awesome son after mass today after I received Jesus in the Eucharist and I was praying, I prayed that like Ephesians 5, you would love your wife as Christ loved the church. Hang up! <laughs> now at this point, your son is saying to himself, what's wrong with mom, right? <laughs> then Friday comes. The minivan pulls up, the kids jump out, you greet your grand, oh, come see grandma, oh, come, 
blowing the baby. Oh, your son says, Mom, I can't. We thank you so much. This means a lot to son. No problem. I just want to tell you, when I was in adoration today, and I was praying before Jesus, I was praying, you know, like, son, I was hoping that you'd be a real man to serve, protect, to die for yourself and live for your family. And your son grabs you by the arm and he pulls you to the side. Mom, what are you, why are you talking like that? What just happened? <laughs> the door just opened. Now he is coming to you. You got him. What do you do now? Do you take the catechism out and start reading it to him? No! Do you take the code of canon law and hit him in the head with it? Boom! No! (laughs) You start to talk to your child about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Son, you know what, son? I know that when we raised you in the 70s, you know, the felt banner masses and the clown masses and the... You know, sometimes we didn't go to church because it was too nice outside or the football game was on. And, you know, we weren't the best parents. But, son, let me tell you what God has done in my life, son, since I started praying the rosary every day. Son, let me tell you how much God has strengthened our marriage since your father and I started praying together every day, son. Son, I can't even begin to tell you the awesome power of praying before Jesus in adoration, what has done in my life, son. You tell your child about intimate, personal, loving, and life-giving communion with the living God because that's what he wants to hear. He needs to know that this all actually means something in his life every day. They're still your children. And believe it or not, Somewhere in there, they're going to listen to you. You know, kids are like computers. You know, if a computer messes up, what does it go to? The default. At some point in your life, your child's going to hit someplace. He's got nowhere to go, but they're going to go back to the default. What's the default? The faith that you handed on to them. Here's the thing. We cannot outsource our responsibility for teaching the children the faith. We can't say, father will do it, youth group will do it, confirmation class will do it. Those are wonderful things. Or Catholic schools will do it. Wonderful things. But hold on. They are there to support what's supposed to be going on at home, not to take the place of it. If your child goes to confirmation class, they're learning all kinds of information about Jesus, and they come home, and you guys never talk about Jesus, except maybe... Meal prayer, blesses the Lord in these thy gifts. If they don't see the faith being lived out at home, well, gee, I'm learning all this stuff about Jesus, but my parents don't care. So if it's not important to them, it's not important to me. They need to connect the stuff that they're learning with the lived experience. Remember, the family is the church of the home. Because that is the place where you first learn to fall in love with Jesus, is at home. School can't do that. Confirmation class can't do that. The kids need the faith being lived out and falling in love with Christ at home because of your example to them. And it doesn't have to be hard. Like I said yesterday, reading the gospel at the dinner table before the Sunday readings. 
simple. Or here's what we did when the kids were little. Teach them the rosary, right? We, had to, we figured kill two birds with one stone. They got to learn the basics. Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory. That's the basics. So we, how do we introduce them to the rosary? So here's what we, that, we, when we had the kids, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and newborn twins. Okay? Four, two, and two newborns. When they were a little older, there's no way they're going to sit for a rosary. That ain't going to happen. So how do we do it? We decided to do this. They got to learn the prayers anyway. So we said, okay, let's do this. Let's do one decade, of, uh, one uh, five mysteries rosary per week. So joyful mysteries. Monday, annunciation. We should do a little sharing. I do a little sharing at the age appropriate. Here's what the Jesus came and talked to Mary. And Mary, God asked Mary to do something really special. And Mary loved God so much that she said yes. So what's the lesson for us, kids? When God asks you to do something amazing with your life, you say yes. Then we do our Father, Him, and then we have them, you know, their little kid way, Him, and we do one. Then the next day, visitation. Next day, nativity. Next day, presentation. Next day, finally... And we do, then the next week, sorrowful mystery. That's the way we introduce them to the rosary. Simple. Sometimes it's those simple things that make the biggest difference. The simple things that make the biggest difference. And the other thing that we did is, let me go through the six things. I'll, I'll fill it in. So here's six things you can do if you have kids or family members that are away from the church. Number one. Don't argue with them. You know what happens. Like I said, Thanksgiving, everything's fine until you talk about religion or politics. Then crash and burn, right? Don't argue with them. Doesn't help. Now, that doesn't say don't bring up things that are important. Just don't argue about it. And which goes to the next thing, number two, love them more than ever before. Because sometimes they think, well, because I'm not going to church now, mom doesn't really love me as much, dad doesn't really love me as much, because all, all they ever do is just talk about church, 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 and all this stuff, and I'm not there right now. And, you know, it's about meeting people where they are. They know how you feel about them not going to church. You don't have to bring it up every single time you see them. But you need to tell them you love them. Again, here's the principle. We love as Catholics, we love everyone, but we always don't love their actions. And we judge actions, we never judge people. So they already know how you feel. Just keep loving them, even though you don't love the fact they're not going to church. Show them that you love them still. Number three, <laughs> prayer and fasting. Everybody's praying for their kids, but sometimes we forget about the fasting piece. Remember the 72 went out and they came back, said, Jesus, we could do all kinds of cool stuff, but there were some demons we couldn't cast out. Then what did Jesus say? There's only some demons that can be cast out by prayer and fasting. We forget about the fasting piece. Fasting united with prayer is a powerful combination. Powerful. Now, it doesn't always have to be fasting from food, you know? Because what the whole thing about fasting is this. With food, you realize, ooh, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. But what you're really hungry for is deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The hunger reminds you of what your deepest need and longing is. 
But that could also be fasting from something that you enjoy. For example, you may want to fast from watching Dancing with the Stars. I'm looking, some of you look at me like, I was with you till you said that, right? Well, hold on, I mean, something that you enjoy. I am going to fast from Dancing with the Stars for an entire season to unite that with my prayer for my child to come back to the Catholic faith. Powerful. So prayer and fasting. Number four, show the joy of the Lord. You know, I'm not saying you got to be happy, happy, joy. I mean, look, show them that sometimes the Catholics are the frozen chosen, you know? Now, I'm not, I mean, when you talk about the faith, are you Catholic? Yeah, I'm Catholic. Can you see how happy I am? Yay, God. <laughs> Who wants to be around anybody like that? You know, show some passion. Show some joy that you're like being Catholic. It's okay. I remember, I remember once I preached a homily in California, this parish of California, on hell. Sin and hell was the homily. At the end of the Mass, I was greeting people. This teenage girl comes up to me, Deacon, I really liked your talk. I wanted to yell amen, but I can't because I'm Catholic. <laughs> and I joked with her. I said, look, if I ever come back to this church again, I'm preaching the word of God. You feel, just shout out, baby. Just shout out amen. Just, you know. And then she turned, her mother's standing there. She turns to me and she goes, you know, you really help connect my faith to my life. And her mother looked at her like, where did that come from? You see? Joy, passion, it's okay. And however way God calls you to do that. Look, next thing, study a little something about the Catholic faith. Now, a lot of you say, I don't have time, I'm busy. Here's what I recommend, filling in what I call gap time. How many of you drive to work or commute to work somehow? Commute to work, drive to work. Now, what are you listening to during that drive? A lot of people listen to sports. A lot of people listen to political talk radio. You know what I find about people that listen to that kind of stuff, political talk radio? They are angry all the time. I don't, I don't want to be around people like that. How about for that 20 minutes when you're in the car, listening to Catholic radio, listening to an MP3, listening to a CD, something that will help you grow in knowledge and love of Christ in your own faith. How about when you're home with the baby, you know, and the, the baby's playing, you're doing dishes. What are you listening to during that time? I'm in airports all the time. I'm on, I do 200,000 miles a year all over the world. I'm on planes all the time. What am I listening to as I'm waiting to get on a plane again? I'm listening to podcasts. I'll show you right now on my phone. The podcast I listen to, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, The Council of Trent, Trent Horn, uh, The Liturgy Guys, Bioethics, Catholic Bioethics, Ruth Institute, Pints with Aquinas. So these are some of the podcasts, because look, even though I study the Catholic faith all the time, you know what I realize? The more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. So I'm continually learning and growing and deepening my, my knowledge and love of the Catholic faith. Fill in those gap times with things to learn and, and grow in your faith. So that when your kids ask you questions, you can actually come up with an answer. And finally, pray that God brings someone else into their life besides you. Because it's so funny. Sometimes you could be saying the same message over and over. Your kids are like, whatever. 
they hear the same message from somebody else and all of a sudden it's like revelation i'll share it from my own life embarrassing for me but i'll i'll share it we decided to talk to our girls about theology of the body when their period started we have three daughters so when claire had hers you know i said okay i'll give it a talk hon so of course i listened to my wife because she knows their hearts you know claire's very sensitive hon you know just go easy and just you know i'll use i i i talk to kids about this stuff all over the world i got this I'll be gentle, I'll go to the Bible, you know, everything. So I went, I sat her down, and I was very gentle. I was going through the scriptures, showing God's beautiful plan for our bodies. She's looking at me like, why is my father talking to me about this? That kind of look. <laughs> so I went back to my wife. I said, hon, what happened? She goes, I told you, not you, you were fine. Claire is just very sensitive. I don't know what to do. So I called Jason Everett, right? I said, Jace. I need some help here, bro. I told him, he goes, don't worry, I got your back, Deacon. So he sent me a DVD. I plugged the DVD. I said, Claire, let's try this again, honey. So we sit down, we watch the DVD, right? There's Jason. We're watching together. Oh, oh, that's, oh, I'm saying the same stuff. <laughs> but because it's coming from someone else, the message is reached. You see what I'm saying? Pray that God brings someone else into their life besides you that will strengthen and reinforce the messages that you've already been giving them. And I'll throw in a, that's six. I'll throw in a bonus one for no extra cost. One of the greatest things that we did that helped build our children's faith is by showing them that faith is not just words in a book. I'll give you a great example. I came home from work one day, and my wife was home with the kids all by herself. I think Claire was eight, Angela was six, and the twins were three. I came home, I said, honey, how'd it go today? She goes, get them out of here, one of those days. So I took the kids to Panda Express, right? Now, this particular Panda Express is in a part of Portland called Cascade Station near the airport. There's the light rail. So we're in there having dinner, the train stops, out come about a dozen what we call goth kids. These are homeless teenagers. They live on the streets of Portland, and we call them goth because they wear all black. Black everything. Black fingernail polish, eyeliner, everything, even the guys, right? Well, piercings, tattoos, three of them break off from the main group and come inside the Panda Express and start going through the garbage looking for food. I see that. I said, kids, stay here. Watch daddy, stay here. So I walk up, well, not too close, not because I was afraid of them, I didn't want them to be afraid of me, right? I walk, I said, uh, hey guys, you hungry? Now, why would I ask that when I saw them going through the garbage looking for food? Why would I ask if they were hungry? Th- think about it. Remember the man that was born blind in the scriptures? He's at the side of the road begging. Jesus is king. He goes, what's that commotion? Man, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. What? Je- he's here? Son of David, have pity on me. Shut up, fool. That's Jesus, man. He don't want to talk to you. Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stops. Bring him here. Hey, 
the master wants to see you. So they bring the guy. I can imagine him. They're bringing him, bringing him. He finally gets to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? What can I do for you? I don't give me a ham sandwich. I'm blind. You're the son of God. Hello. <laughs> Why would Jesus ask him such an obvious question when, it, when obviously what the guy wanted? Why would he ask him? To give him an opportunity to ask for help. The dignity of asking for help. So I gave them that opportunity. They looked at me like, why is he talking to us? That kind of look. I said, look, I'm Catholic. And we believe when Jesus says feed the hungry that he meant it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to the counter. I'm going to give that guy my credit card. And I want you to get enough food for yourselves and all your friends outside. Dinner's on me tonight. They just looked at me. They just... I said, okay. So I walk over to the counter. I explain to the guy, give him my card. He waves the guys over. So I back away a little bit. And they, as they're going over to the, you know, you got to start with the rice and the thing, work your way around the counter. They're moving. They, go, they keep looking at me. Why are they doing that? Yeah, because it might be a setup. Is he going to change his mind? Because the only people they can trust on the street are themselves. So they get all the food. I said, make sure you get enough for all your friends. They get all these bags of food. They're walking out. I said, guys, before you leave, since my kids over, that's my family. I just want you guys to know we're praying for you guys tonight. And they left. I go back over to my kids. Guys, what did daddy just do? Claire, the sensitive one, was crying. <laughs> daddy, I was scared. I thought they were going to mug you. <laughs> got an answer anybody else anybody else and I'll never forget this as long as I live Angela six years old looked at me and said you did Jesus you did Jesus I said that's right honey because when Jesus says feed the hungry give drink to the thirsty clothe the naked those aren't just nice words in a book he actually expects us to do it. So guys, I want you to do what you saw daddy do tonight. Fast forward 10 years later. Claire is now a senior in high school. She crushed the SATs. Now, I guess when back in the day for some of us older, you had to do math and verbal, right? Now they got to do math, verbal, and writing. She got 800 on writing. 780 on verbal. She crushed it. She's getting letters, scholarship offers, and I'm so excited. And, you know, she comes to me after the Lenten mission circuit. I get from all the Lenten missions. I come back. She sits down with me and her mother. This can't be good. <laughs> Daddy, I'm going to go to college. Yes, you are, baby. You're going to go to college. Yes. But I want to take a gap year. Now, I have never heard this expression gap year before. <laughs> to me, it sounded like she said, I want to take a year off and waste my life for a year. I said, no, honey, you're going to go to college. My wife said, let her finish. Okay, honey. <laughs> she said, I'm ready to go to school academically, but I need another year to grow up. Um, okay. Um, have you, what are you going to do for the next year? I want to work with medically fragile children. 
what is that? So Providence Hospital in Portland has a program where teenagers can work with medically, those are the kids in wheelchairs that are palsied and they can't do anything for themselves. She wants to work with them for a year. I said, oh, okay, um, well, is that part-time? Yes, part-time. I said, you know what, why don't you do this? Get a part-time job. As, as daddy, here's an opportunity to learn about money, responsibility, checking, all that stuff. So she got a job at a doggy daycare, Noah's Arf. <laughs> it's just true. She did that for a year. She started school a year as a, as a freshman two years ago, and she was excited. She was ready. And she's doing phenomenally well now. She's doing great. Angela, the one that said, you did Jesus. She got a, to be a freshman in high school. Someone came and did a presentation in her eighth grade class about human trafficking. She came, I, she came when she was deeply moved. How could people treat each other like that? And from that day, she became passionate about stopping human trafficking. When she got to be a freshman in high school, three students were picked from her school to represent her school at an international conference on Catholic social justice in Montreal, Canada. She was one of the three and the only freshman out of 800 girls in that school. She has given presentations in Paris and the United Nations on human trafficking. When colleges found out what she, the work she was doing, she, start, she was a part of a group called YES, Youth Ending Slavery, where teenagers started this organization and they are educating people about the dangers and the horrors of human trafficking. Now, when I left my job at the university, not only did I give up a big salary, I also gave up the benefits, one of which was free college tuition. You multiply college tuition times four kids for four years, we calculated as $800,000 we walked away from. And I said, Lord, how are we going to do this? And Lord, adoration, which I'll talk about tomorrow, Lord said, don't worry, I got you. So, Angela wanted this, to try to figure out where she's going to go to school. I said, okay, Angela, um, just pray about it. Wherever God wants you to go, that's where you're going to go. So she did. She prayed with adoration, prayed about it. She came back several months later. Okay, Daddy, here's where I want to go, University of San Francisco. But it's like $64,000 a year. How are you and Mommy going to... I said, look, honey, your job is to figure out where God wants you to go. It's your mother and I job to figure out how to pay for it. The next day, the next day, she got an email, letter, Four-year full-ride scholarship to the University of San Francisco. Four years full-ride. That's how God rolls when you trust him. God kept saying to me in adoration, I got you, don't worry. God, I'm going to pay. I got you, don't worry. That's all I kept hearing. I was like, okay. And for Claire, we're paying less for her for college than we pay for high school for her. But what caused all of that was the example that my wife and I gave to our children from the time they were small. This Eucharistic faith is not just something for me, it's something we have to live out in the world. We showed them that. Simple. It's not hard. You don't need a master's degree for that. 
Just have to say yes to God. And I want to end with this. I want to end with this. I talked about my father last night, a man that I hated. After 17 years of being estranged from him, my first television series at EWTN appeared called Behold the Man on Male Spirituality. Someone from my country, Barbados, calls my father and says, isn't that your son on TV? My son. So he flips to the channel and bam, there I am. He hasn't seen me for 17 years. Here I am on TV talking about what it means to be an authentically Catholic man. Remember, my father was not a man of faith. Didn't go to church, not baptized, nothing. So he watches the second half of the program. He's intrigued. So he wants to watch the next week. Well, he gets the day, the time right, but the day wrong. So instead of watching me, he's watching an old nun <laughs> with a Bible on her lap. Now, you've got to understand, my father did not know how this worked. He thought, who's this lady? Where's my son? He thought she was the opening act. He thought, this lady's going to talk for a while, then my son is going to come out. That's the only reason he kept watching. He thought, I'm, but, I, so finally, I, I found out much, and I said, Pop, why did you keep watching when I didn't come out? You know what he said? She just made so much sense. Talk about, bring somebody else into your life besides you? Of all the people to get to my father... A man who slept with more women than Godzilla. I mean, come on, I mean, Mother Angelica? <laughs> a year goes by. Now, he still hasn't called me, still hasn't talked to me. Nothing, nothing. A year goes by. I'm driving home for, I get a call out of the blue, out of nowhere. I don't recognize the number, but it's New Jersey area code. Hello, son? Pop? I almost crashed the car. I had to pull over to the side of the road. What's going on here? And we talked for 31 minutes and 12 seconds. When I hung up the phone, 31-12. Longest conversation we had in over 18 years. How did our conversation end the last time I talked to him? When I joined the monastery. Ooh. He didn't like that. He was upset. You're going to do what? You're the first person in our family ever to go to college. You get an academic scholarship to Notre Dame, and now you're going to waste your life living with a bunch of men? What's wrong with you? What am I supposed to tell my friends? I told him what he could tell his friends. <laughs> and then I considered him dead to me. Lazarus in the tomb, he was dead. Until that day. First time I talked to him since that day. He's talking to me for 31 minutes about Jesus Christ. And I remember hanging up the phone going, that guy is full of it. He, I remember yell, literally yelling to myself in the car. Who does he think he is to call me after 18 years to tell me about Jesus? He doesn't know Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm the one on EWTN. <laughs> All that man knows how to do is destroy our family. Lord... If this is from you, you're going to have to show me because I don't believe anything that comes out of that lying pig's mouth. And I learned a huge lesson that day. 
the Lord said, okay, I'm going to show you right now. I had not received the speaking invitation in my home state of New Jersey. Ten days later, I received the invitation to speak at a parish one mile from my father's apartment. I go back to Jersey. I stay with my brother in his apartment. He makes arrangements for me to see my father. My father walks in. He comes in, and I was shocked at his appearance. He had cancer, prostate cancer. So he had... He was a big guy like me, lost ha- more than half of his body weight, big patches of hair missing because of the chemo. And I'm looking at this guy going, that looks like my dad. And he just says to me, son, it's good to see you. And I'm processing all of this. I said, okay, so the next thing I want to hear now is, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry for the hell I put you and your mother and your siblings through for all those years. I'm sorry, son, that I missed your graduation because I was drunk. I'm sorry, son, because I couldn't see you wrestle your senior year because I was out sleeping around. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know how many times I was undefeated in Doomies my senior year in wrestling, ranked number two in the state of New Jersey. You know how many times the ref raised my hand, which was a lot, and I look around, did he make it tonight? Did he make it tonight? And he was never there for me. I want to hear I'm sorry. And all he wanted to talk about was the kind of person he is now. And the Lord said to me, you know what? You know what happened back then, and he knows what happened back then. There's nothing either one of you can do to change it. Deal with the person I have in front of you. So my father's a professional singer. He toured the world singing Caribbean music. He said, "Uh, son, you wanna hear my latest song? I'm like, yeah, whatever, Pop. Because typically his songs were like, for example, he had a song when we were kids called Hazel. Hazel, darling, woman, you excite me. I don't know where or how you got that body, that kind of stuff. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, Pop. So he puts on the music, The music track starts to play. He starts to sing. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. My eyes were wide open, yet I failed to see. Lord Jesus, have mercy. I beg you, have mercy on me. Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I want to live a life that's honest and true. Dear Lord, I beg you, have mercy. Now, as he's singing this song, I'm saying to myself, you can't fake that. So when he finished singing, I don't know what possessed me to do this, I walked up in the man's face and I said to him, I'm gonna ask you a question right now. If you've ever loved me even once as your son, don't lie to me. If you're gonna lie, then say nothing. What happened to you? All this talk about Jesus and mercy. Had I not been standing in his face to hear what came out of his mouth next, I would never have believed it. This man, not baptized, never seen my father in church in my life, destroyed our family, looked me in the face and said to me, the blessed mother and divine mercy. And I was stunned. I literally could not form words in my mouth. 
My brother still mocks me to this day. Man, when Pop said that mercy and Mary stuff, the look on your face. I went, when I got home, my mother was living with us. She said, is it true, son? Is it true? I said, mommy, you can't fake what I saw. My father ended up coming to Oregon to meet his kids. I want to see my grandkids, he told me. But I remember I had a problem. Remember I told you yesterday, I told the kids he was dead. <laughs> So I did what any man in my position would do. I went to my wife and said, how do I get out of this? And she just said, Jesus did raise the dead, didn't he? Yeah. So my father came, you know, um, he reconciled with my mom. He went to church for the, I've never seen my father in church for the first time in his life. It was incredible. I never, and not only that, you got to understand, my siblings, we all reacted differently to my father. My brother stopped going to church totally. If, if that's what God is, I don't have anything to do with him. My, my brother was to church for years. But when my father came in, my brother, he, I don't believe you. I said, Drew, it's true. He goes, no, nope, I, I don't. So he went and saw for himself, and he came back. To, not only that, he's a daily mass goer now. No, I just stayed with him in Florida. He's a daily mass goer. That's how powerful. This, how did it start? Because I wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus Christ and the faith. To help my father. We're talking about bringing the kids back. How about bringing the parents back? That's how powerful this. But if we keep our mouths shut, this kind of thing can't happen. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Don't be afraid to show people how much you love being Catholic. And don't worry that you don't know everything. I don't know, no one knows everything. But show people Jesus. Show people the love of Christ. Witness to the beauty and truth of the faith. However God calls you to do that, it's okay. And if you make a mistake, it's all right. Get up, dust yourself off, and keep going. Jesus fell carrying the cross, didn't he? He got back up. We may fail in our evangelism, but we get back up and we keep moving forward. One last little thing here. I spoke at a men's conference in Columbus, Ohio, 3,000 guys there. A guy wrote me an email, where do I begin? Thank you for saying yes to the Lord and being a voice for Christ. I was worried about the Protestant friends I brought to the men's conference in Columbus. I was worried that they would feel alienated and possibly insulted and annoyed with me. What happened was the exact opposite. I just got a text from my friend who was raised Catholic, but after a family tragedy stopped going to church. He said he never felt at home in his new church, and he heard, when he heard you, he appreciated your candor and truth. He asked me, how do I get back to the Catholic Church? Can you remind me how to do reconciliation? I don't know what happened, but I believe God wants me back in the Catholic Church. My other friend never had much of a religious background. He leaned into me 
and said, I don't want to cry, but I finally understand what you mean about the sacraments. Do you mind if I come to you, with you to the Easter vigil to see that mass? I want to see people take the Eucharist for the first time. So my challenge for you is this, my friends. (laughs) When you leave this church, go in peace and glorify the Lord by your life. Amen. Thank you so much.